Welcome to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and Dee. I'm Maz Mary. And I'm Dana DelVal. Whether you're a person on an addiction sobriety path, or you know someone who is, we're here to talk about our journey with it. And more importantly, we want to help end the stigma and shame of alcoholism. And we want to bring some hope and laughter along the way too. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Good morning. This is an interesting Tuesday. I believe this is the very first Tuesday, Guest Thursday, we have had in two and a half years. It is. It's also the first Tuesday of the current World Cup champion. It is. It's all World Cup all the time. Amazingly, it is not on in the background, but uh, be prepared to see blurry soccer in the background (laughs) for every live stream from here until December, uh, December 18th. Yes. Yeah. December 18th. Wow, that is not that far away. All right, we're not here to talk about the World Cup. We are here to bring on a repeat guest as we are doing as we wrap up Daily Dose. This was a guest that um, I knew a little bit from some professional work, but we were not at all prepared for the depth and complexity of the work that David has created since getting sober. So let's bring our friend David Whitesock to the screen. Good morning, David. Hey, David. Hello, Dana. Hello, Dr. Mary. Good to see you both again. It's fantastic to see you too. I was looking, um, the you were episode 164, February 25th, 2021. So while the snow looks sort of similar to the last time we talked to you, a lot of other things have changed considerably since then. A little bit, yeah. Um, but, you know, as much as things change, sometimes they stay the same. Well, yeah. that, that can be true. Um, one thing you said to me before we got on, which is a change, is you said, I've been traveling a lot. Not a lot of travel in uh, February 2021. Yeah. That's no, you know, it's fascinating between, um, so about the summer of 2021, we started to make a bunch of decisions about how we were going to uh, propel our business. And, um, it was all about getting out and just being out amongst people again. And so since August of last, well, I'd say September of last year, it has just been a year's worth of going to conferences, uh, being in amongst, um, people that do the work that we, we do and the folks that we intersect with. So lots of, lots of human interaction, a lot more than we saw in 2020. And how has that been for you? I'm fixing our um, title because I realized it says joins us on Guest Thursday and then that's where it stops. So I have to edit this in real time. That's how that works on Tuesday. I hope I spelled yes. it right. I did. Okay. So you, I have seen you all over LinkedIn. You have been everywhere. Talk about um, what that's done for Commonly Well and the Recovery Capital Index and all the other work that you're doing. And then we'll go back and talk about that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's in my previous work, you know, we did peer support, peer coaching for people with addiction. You know, we had something of value to offer. There were people that provide addiction care, whether it's clinical or otherwise that would, you know, go to conferences and have booths. And that just wasn't a world that I even participated in. You know, I'd go to conferences, but it, I was mostly there to be a fly on the wall or to go speak. Mm-hmm. And, um, what I found out pretty quickly is once you start your own business and you're kind of in that space, um, how do you get the most eyeballs? 
on what you do and how can you have really meaningful interactions with people where they can sort of, although it's software, sort of touch and feel what you do. But more importantly, and this isn't to throw my arm out, patting myself on the back, but to actually meet me, the right. guy who invented the thing that they're going to buy, um, there's a lot of value in that. And so you build a bunch of relationships. And so what is it meant? Um, it's meant building really great connections in a field that is desperate for deep connections and just, you know, getting the flywheel going, as they say in business, getting a couple of customers, they start to meet you, they talk to other people. And so here we are, we're still, we're still thriving. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, so explain for people who don't remember this conversation, because it was a long time ago now, or who are new to you through us, this recovery capital index model that you created, because it's just so, to me, it's such a human thing. It's mm. not just a thing for people in recovery, but it happens to be specifically for people in recovery. Yeah. I mean, it's everything that the both of you talk about each week with people. It's the 360 degree complexity of the human condition. And we know that for those of us that struggled with addiction, there, there's a boogeyman, there's a demon, there's a thing that sits in front of us. It's the elephant in the room and that's the bottle or the drug. And we've got to deal with that, of course. But I think for most people, uh, most of the time, it's something else in our orbit that is the motivating factor. Okay, what is that? And if we can help people sort of see what that is, maybe through, so we use a, a survey, you know, an assessment, a tried and true assessment that basically is you doing an inventory of yourself across 22 indicators, nine components and three domains. So we break it up into, you know, bits and pieces that are easier to understand about yourself. And then we quantify it. And so you can start to see progress. So yeah, I can look at a calendar and go, okay, didn't drink today. Did I improve the rest of my life? And where did that happen? And I can point to those places or I can, I, I can work with somebody and somebody can look at the results and say, you know, Hey Dana, you know, it, you walked in here feeling dejected and, and feeling like you're not going anywhere but you've increased by 10 points. You're increasing in these areas. Your relationships are getting stronger. It seems like you've got purpose in your life. Let's build on that. All right, and so we can, we can use a little bit of data, a little bit of inventory, a questionnaire, communication to help individuals reframe who they are and where they are to get over this big giant hurdle that that's just been a monkey on their back for so long. As I'm listening to you talk about this, uh, oh my gosh, that idea went right out of my head. Oh, shoot. It'll come back. I know it will. Um, I rewatched our conversation this morning and you asked an interesting question as an academic. You said, do you remember what you said? Um, it's not a quiz. I can tell you. I, 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 I think it was something about your publication. Um, I noticed that you had your um, academic letters of recognition after each, each author. And I just asked you if, um, did you have a hard time getting that published? Because a lot of professional scientists didn't like what you were saying. 
and thought it was like soft and fluffy, yeah, not, not measurable real. and quantifiable. Yeah, they probably didn't think it was a real scientific study. Well, that's interesting. So it wasn't a scientific study. We didn't do a study. Uh, what we did is we applied scientific methods to determine whether or not the particular assessment um, measures what it says it measures. And so there's three or four tried and true scientific methodologies for determining that using, um, you know, biostatisticians do it all the time, you know, in, in research studies. And so um, I think what was the hardest part when we were looking for a publication in particular was they'd look at the lead author, that was me, and my credentials were a JD. And here we were submitting to, you know, medical publications. And they're like, who's this guy? <laughs> um, but, you know, the rest of the team, they were MAs in, in you know, education and PhDs in biostatisticians. And, you know, we had an MD on the team. And so, um, you know, that's what mattered. What mattered was we wanted to show the world that this was a collaborative team from multidisciplines looking to create a solution that is multidisciplinary. And we had to check the box. We, we, in order to get an instrument like we've developed accepted in kind of the medical realm, we had to check a box. It had to be quote unquote validated and reliable and meet certain levels of fidelity. And it did all that. I remember what I wanted to say. What I think is so fascinating about this monthly survey that goes out to participants is that what it does is, um, it make it reminds you because we've taken it. It reminds you that you are not solely your problem. Mm, you yes. are this. You are as complex a, a whole human being as everybody else. Um, and it's you know it checks in on your financial sp space, your spiritual space, your relational space, your um, home and food, and all those things. Well, those are those are. Um, in the realm of all people, not just people who are struggling to stay sober, to get sober, to recover, however you want to say it. Um, and I love that it is not about you're broken. We have to fix you. How's this other stuff? How's this other stuff is the makeup of being a human being. And I love that. Yeah, that's nicely put, actually. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I mean, I couldn't say it any better than that, Dana. I honestly, um, I think this is the thing that cripples a lot of people when they're trying to overcome this is they, society says, like you just said, you're broken. And oh, by the way, if you pick up that bottle again, you have failed, you're done, start over. And, and, and that keeps, that keeps people from going back to an AA meeting. It keeps people from going back to the therapist. It keeps people from picking up the phone and talking to their loved ones. It keeps yeah. people homeless. It, it, it is the number one thing in my view, that is the thing that sets people back. And we can fix that by simply just changing the narrative. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. that's the external narrative and the internal narrative, right? I was just looking back at some ads that, that we did at, at my previous place, face it together um, because um, they're so powerful. And it's, it's, it's this individual sitting in his car with his phone, basically recording him, if you will. And he's doing a video call to his mom on day one, mom, 
um, I'm sober today. This is day one. And then the next day it's mom, I'm sorry. I slipped. I'm starting over again. And it does that for like 30 seconds. And at the end of it, the guy's just crushed because it's always day one. It's like, he can never, he's never getting anywhere. She's never getting anywhere. And so the question just becomes, how do we do that? How do we change that narrative? Because life is continuing. We're, we're going that way anyway. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's um, sometimes I try to relate these conversations to things that are not specific to addiction, because I think, I think people can sort of see the, the mission of daily dose and go, oh, that's not for me. When in actuality, the conversations of daily dose are almost always for anyone and everyone. But, um, you know, I've been very, very open with the fact that I had this unplanned pregnancy at 22, that it derailed me, that it took me down a path I never expected to go, certainly shut the door to a lot of things I hoped to do, and was the defining um, event of my life. Probably until mm, July of this year. Uh, it's I, I have sort of based all my work on it. It's been this whole thing. Uh, certainly, it hasn't stayed as traumatic as it was 20, almost 27 years ago. But it has been the way that I have sort of moved through the world internally. Absolutely. I'm Dana DelVal. I was a young single mom. And this summer, I thought to myself, <clears throat> that's a tired old story. I'm tired of that story. Everybody else is tired of that story. That story has, has not been true for longer than it was true. What are you holding on to this for? Let it go. I don't know that I will ever actively speak publicly about it again as anything other than, yep, that was a thing. This was a thing. That It's so, it's such a now important but insignificant piece of my life, it does not need to be the way that I show up in the world. And I think that that's what the Recovery Capital Index can help people who are bravely living in recovery also do. It's not to say that it wasn't a piece of you, that it isn't, won't always be a piece of you, but it is not the entirety of you. Yeah, I love that. And thanks thanks for sharing that story too. I've caught that over the uh, the last couple of months. And well, if you're not dead, you know it. Yeah. <laughs> um there is a, a remarkable TED talk. Uh the woman's name is Deborah Jarvis. And she uh was a chaplain, or maybe she still might still be a chaplain in a, in a hospital system. And she would comfort cancer patients, um, you know, for years. And I won't give away this story, but of course she ended up getting cancer herself. And she tells this great um, anecdote of, you know, she'd get on a bus, basically, you know, the, the metaphorical bus, and you've got 30 seconds to describe yourself. And what happens? We pick the one moment that's most meaningful out of our life. And sometimes it's that cancer. Or it's the survivor. I'm a survivor of cancer. Like the first words are, I'm a cancer survivor. And like she was kind of relating it to some of the challenges around sort of breast cancer and everybody wearing pink and kind of upholding that kind of ethos of, of the story. And she basically says, I didn't find my new life until I dropped that. That, that cancer mm. was no longer the thing that defined yeah. me. But there were other things like she's like, I sit next to the bedside of people dying. Why doesn't that define me? Oh, 
Absolutely. Why do I root back to this? And she uses a phrase that I'm not going to give away, but it's when you hear her actually say to a relative of hers who also got, you know, struggled with cancer and survived it, like you, you have to move on. It's just so powerful to hear that. And I've been kind of going through that myself too, about, you know, my own addiction and the story that I tell. And I, you know, I also, I'll speak a lot in different places and you hear the same story. They're really important. These recovery stories, they're incredibly important, but I'll tell you, if you've heard one, you've <laughs> kind of heard them all, no offense to each individual. Yep. Um, and at the right moment and the right time, they're incredibly powerful and necessary. Uh, but I think when we start to sort of move up a little bit further as if we start talking in the realm of social change, we've got to shift that narrative just a little bit because mm -hmm. my view is that story is not working at scale. Well, clearly it's not working or we wouldn't see the numbers exponentially getting higher of people who are struggling. I mean, another 2000 people a year died of overdose deaths in the last 18 month cycle. It's like, what are we doing? So right. uh, I think we all need to collectively just sit back and go, it's not working. We got to start over. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't agree more. Patty Sin says, love this discussion. Thanks for joining oh, Patty. Hey, Patty. Fantastic, Patty Sen and Soul Solutions. Um, well, so David, what um, in thinking about that whole thing, which has my brain just churning about twelve million miles an hour now, um, setting setting down the model that we have used thus far, or at least thinking about adapting it. What is next for the work that you do as you continue to? Um, sort of live this out both personally and professionally and evolve it as you go. Yeah, that's what 2022 has kind of been about. Um, I, I never, I didn't know this was going on in real time until about three months ago, but mm -hmm. just being a sponge and getting a lot of information and meeting a lot of people. I think what we realized is that what our work is going to be is going to be helping people um, tell better stories. Um, what ultimately will be is a, is an anal data analytics company, but how do we better pull that information out to tell a better story? And, uh, whether it be at the, the, the individual level, the organizational level or the community level. And so right now, a lot of people will get information and they see it in a report or a dashboard or, um, you know, I'll, I'll use Patty as an example. I'll just use her as an example with soul solutions in Fargo. Like they'll, they'll be in operation for a year and then they'll, they'll hire an evaluator who will come in and do a program evaluation and that'll take a year to do. And then another six months have gone by and it's been 18 months since they actually pulled the information and then they'll write a report. It'll be in a PDF and the board will see it and a few community members and some donors will see it. Um, and then what? Mm. Right. Oh, yes. and, and like two years have gone by. And no offense to the, the good doctor over here who works in academia, but we see this with, with research as well. Like this oh, great absolutely. research. It's, it's, it's what they call. It's um, two and a half years old. What, are the, what was it referred my My old PhD referred to it as the. Um, well, you the, think while David the, talks. The educational law, um, lag. Like well, as soon as you publish something, <clears throat> the whole process of getting all the graphs together and writing it and getting it reviewed. That information is like a year old. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. So when it was and, a, it's a current paper, is it though? <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And no offense to, to you, and I know you spend a lot of time on this, but you write it in a language that the rest of us who are operating facilities oh, or cares? doing the day-to-day, we can't understand it. This is what David's master's... Th- Dana, My name is Dana. Dana's master's thesis was about, was rewriting the academy. And, and of course, she had a lot of time getting her thesis accepted by the disquisitions desk yes. because it wasn't written in Charles Dickens. Verse. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's true. What What are we publishing all this work for? If it's living in perpetuity and no one's seeing it, whether it's academic or cultural or societal or medical, what are we doing? Yeah. And so you have patients in the middle of this, right? You have people, individuals and family members um, coming into these facilities who are, are afraid. They're filled with shame. Uncertainty drives them. They have, they, they're hanging on by a thread of hope. And a lot of information is collected and pulled out of them that goes into a black box, doesn't really get used, isn't being utilized in the best way possible. And maybe more information is being taken that is necessary. And so the question is, how do we move that process along a little bit faster, make organizations evaluatable in real time, and set up systems where the, 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 the folks that are the academics, the doctors and the PhDs can say, Here's the process you need to put in place to actually churn this information out. So it basically is the written academic paper, but in practice right now, like we do all of that in real time and we make that information instantly available, um, instantly actionable and help people recover faster and then tell a better story out of that. So if you are going through this process, we, we can use the best in communication and, and behavioral um, uh, uh, knowledge to, to, to write, not just throw a graph at you, but, and I, and I know I'm sort of, sort of telling myself right now in real time what it is that we're trying to accomplish, but how do we use the right language that's motivating to you? Like, you know, hey, Dana, in the last seven days, Apple does this really well with their watch and all of their graphs. It's like, in the last seven days, you moved five days out of seven, congratulations, keep going. Like it wasn't, you missed two and failed. It was, you did five of seven. Like these are little things that we could just fix in terms of the language that we talk around some of this information. And that's, I think what we're, we're going to, we're evolving toward is, is how do we sort of, how do we change the way we think about some of those processes? You know, not to be reductive about this, but the first thing I thought of when you said that was, how unbelievably motivating a sticker chart is for a toddler, <laughs> yes. you know? So, so when, when my now 27, almost 27 year old was two and a half, three, well, you go to the store, you let them pick out the stickers, you make the chart and you're not punishing them. You're rewarding them. It's a reward-based system, which is always going to motivate people more than the shame of not doing it, that, that congratulations on five days versus what a jerk you missed two. Why, why do we do that with this one thing where shame is already such a heavy weighted blanket on the individual, the family, the workplace, the everywhere, everybody is already carrying such a mantle of shame. Why would we exacerbate it by reminding them to their face where they have failed? When yeah, it, it just yeah, uh. there is something that I've always it's it's kind of 
you know a counterproductive thing you you can't live in the past you as a recovering addict you you full you hear these platitudes like if you know even this saying you know don't look for me at my last address i don't live there anymore but when you go to an aa meeting the first thing you say is hi i'm maz i'm an alcoholic <laughs> and i would say you're not an alcoholic you haven't had a drink in five and a half years. Now, saying that, I'm very proud of the fact that I am a happy, smiling alcoholic, definitely enjoying sobriety, because that's kind of an anchor now. That's what I am. And I'm not ashamed of it, but it's almost like you're stuck in the past. Describe yourself. I'm a happy, smiling alcoholic. That's what I'd say. And I'm proud of it. But that's almost like you're stuck somewhere five years ago. Well, it goes back to your bus point. Is yeah. that is that chaplain a breast cancer survivor or is she something else who happens to also have had breast cancer? Am I something else who happens to also have had an unplanned pregnancy 27 years ago? Yes. It's very interesting. Yeah, it yeah, really what, is. David. It, it's the differential between what defines us and what informs who we will uh, be. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Damn, you go, you do good stuff, David. I say. Yeah, yes. Yeah, see, that's David. Well done. It's the D's. Well, <laughs> but I, I think so. I, this is just a collection of you know things that I've gathered up and and sort of hoovered up over the years. And and the if nobody's read the book, read um, Simon Sinek's book on the the inf infinite mindset, right? I know. I, I think a lot. Of it. Yeah, I, I think Dr. Mary, what you're talking about in terms of. Um, the, the recovery space and, and saying, Hey, I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict. And that's kind of who I am. And um, that's important for a lot of reasons, but in like the Simon Sinek thinking that's very finite, that's a yeah. finite mindset versus an infant mindset of uh, what does that mean then? What, where do I apply that? Who then, what do I get to be? And, and how do I look beyond this one point in time? Well, to, um, go back to your point about not to reach out my arm and, and pat us on the back. But I think, I, I mean, that, that sums up the, the reason we started daily dose was because you could either be a quiet, happy, smiling, alcoholic, enjoying sobriety, or you could say, boy, maybe if we come out and talk about some of this, it could make a difference for somebody else because they can see an example, they can hear all these stories, they can interact with people, blah, blah, blah. That, that sort of, we took something that felt very shame-filled and finite and sort of made it infinite because we were unwilling to live in the box that society said we needed to live in. And I will say I've shared um, dozens of your conversations oh, um, simply you. because there no one else is really doing what you're doing. There aren't two married people sitting in their house having these conversations. I mean, they probably are, but they're not doing not it. Live live streaming, they're not live streaming. They're not. Well, not two that like each other still, I suppose. <laughs> and so the, the, the library that you've built, and so maybe this will evolve into something else and something different, which I, I hope, hope so. it does. Yeah. Um, but the library of what you've built is, is immensely valuable and it's still got value going forward. And I think people are going to, um, what is the Robert Kennedy, the ripple of hope? Um, there yeah. are ripples to, to continue. Well, that's a, yeah, that's, that's nice. a fantastic Thank compliment. Thank you. Thank you for that. And it's a great way to, um, wrap up this conversation because we feel that way about the work that you're doing to David, I think to have the quantifiable, the qualifiable, yeah. the, 
the measurable, the feel good, the hard, the soft, all those things, it, it's going to take a whole seismic shift in the way we do all this work, the way we all show up to start to really make systemic change in the addiction world. Because otherwise, if we continue on the path we're on, that, that is a doomed, failed path. Yeah. So so I just applaud, we applaud the work that you've done. We thank you for coming back and giving us an update and joining us and really, really thank you for all thank, the support yes. you've shared with us. And thank you for all that you do as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, as I said to you in an email, um, go as deep as you possibly can in the community that you are. I think Fargo needs you. North Dakota needs you. Keep doing what you're doing because more people need to go deep. That is going to have the greatest, longest lasting impact. And I think you're so well positioned to do it. And um, if I can be a cheerleader, I will. Not if I can, I will be your cheerleader. Just thank let you. me know. <laughs> so thank you. thank you for what you've done. I really i am grateful for these conversations. Well, we're oh, grateful you, to David. be back in touch with you. Yeah. So happy end of 2022 and this year of sort of figuring out what's next. And we look forward to seeing what you do in 2023. Yes, definitely. Same. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, David. Thank you too. You. Everybody else, we'll see you on Thursday. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and DD. If you enjoyed the content and want to learn more, head over to Facebook to Daily Dose Dr. Mary DD. You can find us on YouTube under Dana DelVal. And if you want to get signed up for our weekly newsletter, Email me at D-A-Y-N-A at D-A-Y-N-A-D-E-L-V-A-L dot com. Have a great day. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.